0: It's urgent to me. It's urgent to the students that sit before me. <clears throat> Our reason for speaking to you is because we feel urgently to warn you of what we are about to say. You know, to try to just put it as briefly as I can put it and as clearly as I can put it, The this planet is about to be recycled, refurbished, um, started over. As, far as not, That doesn't mean it's going to be destroyed. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world. But <clears throat> it does mean that it's going to be recycled, refurbished. Now, you can say, well, who are you to say that? And I'll tell you who I am as to whether or not you believe who I am or not is up to you. And whether or not you believe that it's going to be recycled or refurbished is up to you. Now, the purpose of this tape is to warn you that that is about to happen and that that it's going to happen very soon. If I would title this tape, it would be Last Chance to Evacuate Planet Earth Before it is recycled hello everyone welcome back to perplexity a mystery podcast i'm your host Kadra. thank you so much for being here i've got a wild story for you guys today Uh, Quickly before we get into it, if you missed last week, I released episode six, which was a true crime case. That was the mysterious disappearance and alleged murder of Lee Ying Lee. You definitely want to go back and check that out if you missed it. Don't forget if you like what you've been hearing so far on this podcast and you haven't done so yet, please be sure to leave a five star review on whatever platform you're listening on. It's super easy. Just click the star rating option when you pull up the podcast. Also be sure to follow the podcast so that you know when new episodes are being released. If you have topic requests or you wanna share a crazy story with me that I'll read on the podcast, you can email me at perplexitymysterypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram for the latest perplexity updates at perplexitymysterypodcast. I wanted to cover this story today because I've always been fascinated by cults. And I realized the other day, I haven't done a cult episode yet. Uh, One of the most fascinating cults to me has always been Heaven's Gate. Yeah! So that's what we're going to talk about today, you guys. You heard the recording at the beginning. That was the lovely Marshall Applewhite, and we're going to talk all about him in a second. First, uh, my sources for today are the Spotify podcast original from Parcast, known as Cults. They have a four-part series all about Heaven's Gate. Definitely check that out if you're interested in this story. I also got information from heavensgate.com. It is still up and running, you guys. Uh, Wikipedia, of course. And a couple of articles. So an article from the San Diego Union Tribune by... Janja Lalik. Hope I'm saying that right. An article from The New Yorker by Zoe Heller and an article from grapevine.com that was posted by D. Wiseman. Big trigger warning, content warning today, guys. Uh, there are going to be some heavy and disturbing topics discussed today, including suicide, abuse, and body modification. So Seriously, please, listener discretion is advised before we get into this. I thought first we should talk about what makes a cult a cult, since I haven't really talked about cults before. So a cult, of course, needs some kind of leader and followers. There's always some kind of system of beliefs that sets them apart from other belief systems. This system creates an in-group dynamic and eventually the leader is able to control their followers' thoughts, feelings, and actions. The key dynamic is always control. People who join cults are often very well-educated. They come from good families and do not have prior psychological problems. Cults want highly functioning individuals who contribute and can recruit people cults often have some type of hierarchy where everyone has a job and members are often given new names to strip them of their old identities. Some scholars theorize that levels of religiosity and cultic affiliation tend to rise in proportion to the perceived uncertainty of an environment. So the less control that we feel we have over our circumstances, the more likely we are to entrust our fates to a higher power, like a cult. A classic example of this relationship was provided by the anthropologist Bronislaw Malinowski, who found that fishermen in the Trobriand Islands off the coast of New Guinea engaged in more magic rituals the further out they went into the sea. This propensity has been offered as an explanation for why cults exploded during the social and political tumult of the 1960s, and why levels of religiosity have remained higher in America than in other industrialized countries. Americans, it is argued, experience significantly more economic precarity than people in nations with stronger social safety nets and consequentially... Americans are more inclined to seek alternative sources of comfort. In 2022, an article from the San Diego Union Tribune by Janja Lalik says, In these turbulent times, cults are having a heyday of recruitment. Don't jump in too fast. Take your time before you take the lead. Don't be pressured to act now. Do your research. Pretend you're buying a car. You would never buy the first car you look at, right? Trust your gut if something doesn't feel right. If I've learned anything over the past 35 years of studying these groups and working with survivors and families, it's that there are no gurus. Now, there has been some debate on whether or not we should even consider Heaven's Gate a cult in the first place. Scholar Benjamin Zeller argued Heaven's Gate wasn't a cult at all. It was an extreme religion. We should probably look at it as more of an extreme offshoot of Christianity. For example, in Catholicism, priests and nuns agree to be celibate. They give up all their familial possessions and follow a strict lifestyle and moral code so that they can enter into heaven. So, if we are going to accuse Heaven's Gate of being a cult and of brainwashing their members, according to this scholar, we also have to consider how organized religions operate. It's also alleged that Heaven's Gate always offered their members choice, and that each member made individual decisions for themselves. So after we talk about Heaven's Gate, I'll let you guys decide for yourselves what you think. Something else that is a common experience in cults is cognitive dissonance, which we'll talk about. This is an instance where we're confronted with something that is the opposite of what we believe to be the truth. Trying to deal with two opposing ideas is difficult for the human brain. So our minds have to find a way to adjust. We either have to accept that our initial belief was false or redefine the truth. So, Heaven's Gate. Let's talk about some people first. There was a man named Marshall Applewhite. Marshall was born in a small town in West Texas and was raised in a very conservative family. His father was a Presbyterian preacher. In 1952, Marshall enrolled in seminary school and he was looking to follow his father's footsteps but after about two years he left the seminary program. He was still a strong Christian and stayed connected to the church but he was struggling as a closeted bisexual. It's been suggested that Marshall had a difficult time reconciling his feelings regarding his sexuality and his desire to be a preacher. So this ultimately led to him walking away from the traditional Christian church. After he left the seminary, Marshall started pursuing other passions like music. He enjoyed singing and ended up earning a master's degree in music and voice from the University of Colorado. By then, Marshall was in his late 20s, married with two kids, and he and his family moved to New York City where he was hoping for his big break into show business. But this never happened. Eventually, Marshall abandoned this dream, and he and his family moved down south to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and he started teaching music instead at the University of Alabama. He became pretty popular with his students. A little too popular, some people would say, because there were rumors that started to circulate that Marshall was having an affair with a male graduate student. His wife ended up leaving him, and took the children and they eventually got a divorce then in 1966 marshall moved to houston and started teaching again at the university of saint thomas his music career picked back up and he started singing for the houston grand opera he worked as a choral director for a few local churches and he seemed to have come to terms more with his sexuality as he began to openly date both men and women. But then for some reason he left the University of St. Thomas. It's not clear if this was on his own accord or if he was forced to resign. He also left the Houston Grand Opera after he had a psychotic episode on the night he was supposed to perform. The episode was apparently so extreme that he had to be hospitalized. After this, Marshall seemed to be directionless. He bounced around for a few months from thing to thing. He started struggling with his finances. And then his father died. Marshall spiraled into a depression. He also began to hear voices. He was having health issues at some point as well. He almost died from a serious heart blockage. And Marshall is still pretty young when all of this happens. He's only 40 years old. So it's said one day in 1972, Marshall was visiting a friend in the hospital. And while he's visiting this friend, he meets a nurse named Bonnie Lou Nettles. So now we need to talk about Bonnie. Bonnie grew up in Houston, Texas. She was raised Baptist, but she never felt connected to her faith. She was always more interested in seeing her friends and socializing at church. As an adult, Bonnie got married. She had kids and became a nurse. But it seems like she wasn't completely satisfied with this traditional lifestyle. She wanted something more. She started searching for meaning in new places, exploring a lot of new age beliefs of the 70s, like astrology, mysticism, and UFOs. She also studied theosophy which was an alternative religion that blended a wide range of beliefs from spiritualism, Eastern mysticism, and the occult. She started to develop a sense of identity and believed a lot of these ideas. Bonnie claims that she had learned to channel spirits, performing seances in her living room. She even shared some of these beliefs with one of her daughters, Terry. Bonnie and Terry would sometimes spend their nights staring up at the stars, wondering what was out there they started to feel like they didn't belong in this world terry and bonnie also claimed that at night they would have dreams that a ufo would pick them up and take them away as bonnie began to channel more and more spirits she developed a connection with the spirit of a franciscan monk that she called brother francis who apparently gave her advice about the future Another spirit Bonnie allegedly spoke with predicted that she would meet Marshall Applewhite. So here they are back at the hospital. Marshall was, you know, checking on his sick friend. And when he has a conversation with Bonnie, they both say that they immediately connected. Marshall would later say that he felt as if he had known her forever. They find out they have a lot of common interests, one of them being astrology. Marshall had been wanting someone to do his birth chart for him. And it turned out that Bonnie was an experienced astrologer. So she happily agreed to do his birth chart. She just needed his birth certificate. Marshall just so happened to have his birth certificate out in his car. So he gave it to her the same day. And he later said that he just felt like the whole encounter felt like fate. Once Bonnie reads Marshall's chart, she finds out apparently that their souls were linked. She said that they had known each other in a past life, and that's why there was a sense of recognition when they first met. At this moment, Bonnie believed that they had been brought back to each other in this next life to complete a spiritual mission. So Bonnie convinces Marshall that he has a mission he must complete that this mission has been written in the stars and he just simply has to accept this calling. While Bonnie isn't sure exactly what the mission is, she claims that she's sure her and Marshall are supposed to complete it together. Bonnie and Marshall start spending a lot of time together. They isolate themselves from any other people and they're trying to figure out what their mission is. Marshall always Claimed that they never had any kind of sexual relationship. They just felt really compelled to go through life together and figure out this mission. And in January of 1973, they pack their bags and hit the road, leaving behind any friends and family. Bonnie and Marshall travel around the country they're working odd jobs to pay for any necessities like gas and food. And they start visiting all kinds of people to figure out what their mission is. They go to new age groups, alternative health centers, gurus. They even go to Christian churches. They also read a ton of books from all kinds of religions, studying everything that they could get their hands on. Marshall said at this time, that quote their thirst was absolutely unquenchable so one day in July of 1973 Bonnie and Marshall are in Oregon camping on a beach and they have this epiphany they start to piece together all of these things that they've been learning not only do aliens exist but they've come to earth in the past and everything written in the bible is based on those encounters When the Bible described angels coming down from heaven in chariots, it was actually aliens landing in spaceships. When the sick were healed in the Bible, it was actually the modern medicine work of aliens and that God was an alien. Jesus was an alien and heaven must be in outer space. They believed that if they had the right telescope, they would even be able to see God in the cosmos. They also started to reconsider the book of Revelations and the New Testament. In Revelations, two witnesses are described who would someday be sent by God to testify before the end times, but that the world would reject this message and the witnesses would be martyred. Bonnie and Marshall realize that they are these two witnesses and it's been their mission all along to spread God's message. Then they would eventually become martyred transform and ascend to their home in heaven they believed that this cloud in the bible was actually a spaceship they called this the demonstration and believed it would be the beginning of the apocalypse bonnie and marshall felt that anyone who believed their message would be able to ascend with them but only if they were seen as perfected beings this is what bonnie and marshall called the next level in order to enter into heaven they could no longer be human they had to become more than that marshall would later compare this to the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly the reward for this metamorphosis would be everlasting life in the utopia of heaven they also said that jesus had already given them the blueprint to follow with his own death and resurrection but in order to make it to, quote, the next level, you would have to be completely focused on your transformation and nothing else. This meant that your jobs, your family, your friends, and any possessions had to be out the window. These were seen as distractions. By May of 1974, Bonnie and Marshall are back in Houston. And this is when they recruit their first follower, who was a woman named Sharon. Sharon had been struggling a lot with her spirituality, and she was in a bad marriage at the time. So after several conversations, Sharon chooses to abandon her family and join Bonnie and Marshall on the road. She became an evangelist for their group, talking to locals and spreading the message in the towns they visited. These messages went on for several months, but they were unsuccessful. Eventually, Sharon's family was also able to track her down, and they begged for Sharon to go home to her two-year-old daughter. So eventually, after her family's pleading, Sharon agreed to go back home. And once again, it was just Bonnie and Marshall. In late 1974, Marshall actually gets arrested for stealing a rental car, and he spent six months in jail. And during his time in jail, he discovers several more things when he's released from jail he meets up with bonnie again and this is in march of 1975 he says that he had these revelations if they were god's witnesses they couldn't be human they were already members of the next level aliens in human clothes because they had already been transformed it was going to be their duty to be teachers and leaders He also wrote out a summary of their beliefs, and he showed this summary to Bonnie. So they sit down and they edit this together, and it becomes known as, quote, the first statement. Bonnie and Marshall start mailing out the first statement to all of these new age groups, alternative religions, and gurus, hoping it will result in gaining a following. The first statement was conveniently a much tamer version of their beliefs, It didn't mention revelations, the apocalypse, or anything really about aliens. Instead, it focused on their promise of transformation. They also referred to themselves as the two. They wrote, Those who can believe this process and do it will be lifted up individually and saved from death, literally. If you seek the two while they're here, they will gladly fill you in on the details and insist that those who wish to follow in this path if this speaks to you respond according to your capabilities or needs for your sake give this opportunity your best bonnie and marshall also started calling themselves by other names like Bow and peep guinea and pig and tea and doe they also started calling their group by several different names like the Human Individual Metamorphosis, or HIM, and Total Overcomers Anonymous. So they send out this first statement, and they actually get some responses. There was a guru in Los Angeles named Clarence Klug that contacted them, and he invited them to come and speak to his group of followers. Klug had developed his own process for transformation that was known as self-initiation, He taught his followers that they would be able to overcome their human limitations and transform into beings of light. His group was also suffering and he had run out of money and lost a lot of followers. The few members that remained were somewhere between 40 to 80 people and they were starting to doubt Klug's power to transform them. So on April 9th, bonnie and marshall visit klug and his followers and they share their message bonnie and marshall make it clear that anyone who wants to ascend must be willing to leave everything behind this included no sex no alcohol and no drugs the no sex thing is also interesting because to me it's kind of marshall's way of compartmentalizing his sexuality like he doesn't have to deal with it if no sex is allowed marshall explained quote you would have to literally overcome every human indulgence and human need you'd have to lose everything you will sever every attachment with that world that you have end quote he then invited anyone who was willing to do this to meet him on may 5th at gold beach in oregon this was the same beach where bonnie and marshall had had their epiphany Several accounts from that night claim that the audience found Marshall to be captivating. They were struck by his charisma and confidence. One person from Kluge's group, however, was skeptical and asked to see more proof. How could they be so sure that they were actually part of this next level? So when this member asks Marshall this, Marshall replied, you already know who we are or you wouldn't be here. So the meeting goes pretty well because they recruit about two dozen people, including Clarence Klug, And Bonnie and Marshall keep traveling and recruiting. And within a few months, they gather around 100 followers and they make national headlines. In September of 1975, posters started appearing in bookstores and coffee shops all along the Oregon coast. They would say at the top, UFOs, why they are here. they have come for, when they will leave, not a discussion of UFO sightings or phenomena. The posters also informed of an upcoming meeting on September 14th, and they encouraged people to attend if they had, quote, ever entertained the idea that there might be a real physical level in space beyond the Earth's confines. Posters like this were also distributed by Heaven's Gate members in other states like California and Colorado. So on September 14th, Bonnie and Marshall have this meeting in Waldport, Oregon, and a couple hundred people show up. Bonnie and Marshall walk out on stage dressed alike with the same short haircut, which I think is so creepy. And then for the first couple minutes, Bonnie and Marshall stand on the stage and they don't say anything. They just stare in silence, which I feel like would be so uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, But finally, after a couple minutes of silence, Marshall announces they are representatives from outer space sent by God and destined to be martyred. And he said the apocalypse was imminent and that the spaceship was coming. He talked about transformation and how to transform, how committed you would have to be. And then he also emphasized the importance of making this commitment quickly, how time was of the essence. So one thing I want to point out here, you always know you're being scammed if whoever is trying to convince you of something wants you to make that decision right away. (laughs) It has to happen now. They're not giving you that moment to really think because if you sit with it, then you are going to have that like aha moment of, wow, this is bullshit. I shouldn't do this. (laughs) So red flag number 80 in this whole scenario. But just remember that one person that attended the meeting was quoted saying Marshall made them feel, quote, euphoric, higher than a kite. Another person said, quote, felt like they sat in front of the equivalent of Jesus, end quote. So he must have been pretty convincing, at least for some people. Uh, During the meeting and at many other recruitment meetings that Bonnie and Marshall would hold, Marshall asked a simple question. What would people be willing to sacrifice in exchange for eternal life in heaven? So after this meeting in Waldport, Oregon, they gained 34 more members. And Waldport was a small town. There were only about a 1,000 people in it. So when these 34 people up and abandoned their lives and their families out of nowhere, it was a pretty big scandal. A lot of people in Waldport were really concerned. So the authorities were contacted and they launched this investigation. Newspapers began to pick up the story. Local headlines read, 20 persons reported missing, lured by UFO Pied Piper. (laughs) Even the New York Times picked up the story. People started wondering if Marshall had used his charm and charisma to hypnotize and brainwash people. Nobody could make any sense of why these normal people would just up and abandon their lives for what seemed like such a crazy idea. They also started comparing Heaven's Gate to the Manson family one follower sold his house for five dollars. Another follower left behind their successful real estate business and what his friends described as, quote, one of the finest families in town. Socialist Robert Bulk and David Taylor studied Heaven's Gate for seven weeks in the fall of 1975 by going undercover, posing as members. But they claimed From their studies, there was no brainwashing due to, quote, lack of indoctrination. So because cults tend to follow a typical recruitment pattern where they approach people directly and they use these long and drawn out recruitment processes, Heaven's Gate didn't perfectly fit into this cult category. When Bonnie and Marshall would do these recruitment meetings, they would only spend 15 to 20 minutes delivering their message and then they would open the floor to questions. However, they would often avoid answering important questions, like where would they get their food or money? (laughs) A follow-up meeting would be held for people who were interested the very next day, and then they had to find their own way to the next meeting spot, which was some type of camp. So if these people weren't brainwashed, what was it that convinced them to join? Many people attribute this to the New Age movement. Many members of Heaven's Gate had already tried other practices and religions before. They had spent years trying to find themselves with practices like Scientology, yoga, Zen, offbeat cults, hallucinogens, tarot cards, and astrology. Also, a lot of members believed in psychic phenomena and the paranormal. Some people believe Heaven's Gate was just the newest spiritual awakening that the followers had discovered. It simply offered them something different and new, exciting to experience. Bonnie and Marshall also seemed to entice people, because Heaven's Gate was not only backed by faith, but also apparently backed by science. According to Bonnie and Marshall, they had access to advanced extraterrestrial techniques, They said their process would activate a chemical change in the human body. So in 1975, Bonnie and Marshall gave their followers pretty loose guidelines to follow to focus on their transformations and nothing else. They said they couldn't do any type of reading, no music was allowed, and no social interactions were allowed. Friendships were discouraged as well, because they said that this social connection was considered too human. The members at the time were as young as 14 years old and as old as 58 years old. But the majority of the members were in their 20s and college educated. Most were apolitical and didn't feel connected to traditional American values. Most of the followers' days consisted of sitting alone in silence part of the day was spent doing a form of meditation that they called tuning in. The members were given tuning forks to hold above their heads. They were told to tune their mind to the level of the tuning forks, whatever that means. In a documentary called Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Colts, one of the members was interviewed and they talked about this practice and they said, So you take it and hit it and stick it on your head and then kind of like hum it to yourself. They didn't give us instructions on how to do any of that. The group mostly stayed in secluded campgrounds and they relocated every couple of days. They never stayed in one place for long. Occasionally they would go to towns and hold meetings to recruit followers and try to get money for food and gas unless they were recruiting followers, when the Heaven's Gate followers went into town, they also were not allowed to mention Bonnie, Marshall, or that they were members of Heaven's Gate. So this is when the group started to become kind of secretive and paranoid. When new followers would join, they would have to meet up at a buffer camp before they could go to like the actual camp where they would train. (laughs) And in order to find the buffer camp, they had to find their own way there. They wouldn't really give them any instructions on how to get there or help them and this was to prove their commitment to Heaven's Gate. Sometimes the sites for the buffer camps were hundreds of miles away from where the new followers had agreed to join. In Heaven's Gate each follower was also assigned a partner to basically keep them accountable and make sure that they weren't breaking any rules. They were expected to be together 24 hours a day the partnerships were also designed to be uncomfortable for the followers because it forced them to confront and overcome any human emotions for example you might be assigned to someone 24 hours a day that you were sexually attracted to so you would constantly have to overcome your human desires the partnerships were even sent out traveling together they met back up as a group every couple of weeks. But Bonnie and Marshall were often absent from these meetings, so their presence became more and more mysterious to their new followers. In the fall of 1975, Bonnie and Marshall actually go into hiding, and a lot of people believe this was due to a lot of negative attention in the media that Heaven's Gate was receiving. Reporters had figured out who Bonnie and Marshall were, and had released their photos in the newspapers. People started referring to Marshall Applewhite as the next Charles Manson. Others believe that Marshall and Bonnie may have been purposefully hiding from their followers because they had told their followers that their ascension to heaven was just a few weeks away. And then when weeks became months, members began to get suspicious. Marshall and Bonnie stayed in hiding until early 1976. So because of all this negative attention that Heaven's Gate had been receiving, a lot of people started showing up to their public meetings and just heckling them. And it became really difficult for them to get new members. So in April of 1976, Bonnie announces that they would no longer be accepting new members and they had somewhere between 80 and 100 members at this point. They knew that they had to explain to their members why the Ascension to Heaven hadn't happened yet. They tell the group that Bonnie and Marshall had already been martyred. They compared their character assassination in the media to their death, and that this was a metaphor that meant it was time to move into the next phase of their mission, the Ascension they also told their followers not to worry about the timeline of when the ascension would occur in order to determine who would be ready for the ascension it was time to get serious so in 1976 bonnie and marshall start to give stricter lessons and directions to the group they all began to interact together in one big group that they called the classroom the followers were considered the students And Bonnie and Marshall were the teachers. They were addressed by the class as older member. Bonnie and Marshall start giving really strict exercises and diet restrictions. The students had to also report every 12 minutes, which seems like a random number, but every 12 minutes they had to go to this central post at camp to see if Bonnie or Marshall needed anything. So this process is pretty intense and it causes a lot of people to leave. Their numbers shrank from 80 to somewhere around 40 members. Some people were kicked out and other people left on their own accord. One day, Bonnie and Marshall even kicked out 19 members and they became known as the Phoenix 19. This was kind of a turning point for the cult. It was kind of dramatic that 19 people had just suddenly left. So the energy inside the group would actually increase. So the remaining members began to prepare to join the next level. The members were given new names and they were all six-letter names that were capitalized and ended in ODY. Some of the names were based on personality or physical traits of the person as well. Behavioral guidelines were also put into place and these were known as the 17 steps. This was how members of the next level were expected to behave. Bonnie and Marshall did always give people the choice to either follow the steps or they could leave. And some people did leave. Some of the rules were to follow commands without adding their own interpretation, not asking a question when the answer was obvious, not to have unnecessary conversations, to not procrastinate, to not be overly defensive, to not be rude. not be clumsy and to not be defensive so basically ignore every single human characteristic and thought that you have not an easy thing to do at all and not a natural thing to do the meetings that they had were held regularly and they had to make sure that that each member was following the 17 steps so each and every member's thoughts words and actions were deeply analyzed in front of the entire group. The 17 steps essentially taught each member to not trust their thoughts, instincts, desires, and their own minds. At this point, the members that remained began to try and simulate what their lives would be like during their ascension. So they tried to operate as one with each member having their own established duties. They had really strict protocols for each task they would do. And this was to make sure that each task would be done the exact same way every single time. So even if they were like cleaning, using the bathroom, brushing their teeth, they had exact instructions. They had instructions for how much toothpaste they could use when they brush their teeth. And it was also very important that no one did anything to call any type of attention to themselves. There was no individuality. You were simply part of the group. There was also no gender in the group. It was very androgynous. So women couldn't wear makeup or jewelry. No facial hair was allowed. Uh, They even had to control the pitch of their voice. So if they talked too high, It could indicate femininity, and they were asked to lower the pitch of their voice. And if you talked too low, it could indicate masculinity. So they were asked to raise the pitch of their voice. So pretty wild. They also had the same short haircut, and they all wore matching uniforms. The clothes were also loose-fitting and dark-colored to not draw attention to their bodies. Because members of the Next Level... Were believed to not have digestive organs and just absorbed energy from the Sun, they also started following really strict diets and they would cycle through these different ones changing all the time. So sometimes they were vegetarian, other times they were fruitarians, or they would go on fasts. Food was referred to as fuel and eating was referred to as consumption. So they start coming up with all this crazy terminology that i thought was pretty funny they called the kitchen a neutral lab breakfast lunch and dinner were known as first second and third experiment their bodies were referred to as vehicles and their brains were called computers (laughs) and an assignment away from the crew was an out of craft task bedrooms were rest chambers Laundry rooms were called fiber labs, and this one's pretty great. Um, bras were slingshots, I <laughs> think I'm gonna steal that. And underwear was seat covers. So, again, sex, sensuality, and any type of sexual thoughts or actions were forbidden in Heaven's Gate. In fact, any type of physical contact was forbidden, you couldn't even hug someone or hold hands. If you had a wet dream or what was also called a nocturnal emission, you had to sign out a washcloth to clean yourself up, which would make your shame public knowledge. At some point Marshall also admitted that he was struggling with sexual attraction to one of the male members, and as he put it, quote, "My vehicle is attracted to your vehicle." <laughs> he had to have several members help keep his behavior in check and keep him under control. And there was even a night that Marshall had a nocturnal emission, And so he woke up the next day and told members he was considering getting a castration. He compared this thought to the passage in the Bible, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. So the rules around sex continued to escalate and eventually, Marshall Applewhite decides everyone should get castrations. It just so happened that one of the members of Heaven's Gate used to be a nurse who worked for a doctor that specialized in testicle removal. So they see this as an opportunity to get everyone castrations. This nurse had seen how it was done, so surely that must mean she's competent, right? Right? <laughs> so they let this woman, with a couple years of medical education and no surgical training, castrate one of their members. After the first procedure, this male member started to have extreme pain. His scrotum swelled up. And at this point, Marshall realizes that they've gone too far. And so Marshall freaks out and he says that they need to take him to the police. But his followers don't want to do that. They want to protect him. Eventually, though, they realize they have no choice and they have to take this guy to a hospital to at least get medical attention. So they do. And the doctors help him. While the doctors are helping this member, one of the other members went to a nearby pier to dispose of any evidence. So they threw this man's testicles in the water. The male member that was castrated survived and he was released from the hospital and after this Marshall decides it is way too dangerous for everyone to get a castration and decided against it but then at some point I guess they changed their minds because several of the Heaven's Gate members including Marshall found a real doctor who was willing to operate on them and between seven and nine members of Heaven's Gate were castrated. This led to several members deciding it was time to leave the group. (laughs) Multiple times, Bonnie and Marshall claimed that the Ascension was happening. And so they would take their members outside of whatever camp they were staying at and they would sit under the stars, staring up at the sky and obviously nothing would happen. So after each of these failed predictions, Bonnie and Marshall would say, I don't know what happened. We're just as surprised as you are. We wouldn't blame anyone for leaving. (laughs) This each time would cause some cognitive dissonance. So to deal with this, a lot of the members would just attribute this non-arrival of God to simply mean they hadn't worked hard enough. It wasn't time for them to go yet. So the members continue to train hard for years, but in 1982 Bonnie's health starts to deteriorate. She had developed cancer in one of her eyes and a lot of the members are surprised by this obviously. This shouldn't be possible because Bonnie had already been transformed, right? But her eye is surgically removed and replaced with a prosthetic. Bonnie's cancer, though, continues to get worse. And by May of 1985, she's super sick. She finally goes to a doctor. And this is when she finds out her cancer has metastasized to her liver. It's inoperable and untreatable. And Bonnie dies she died in dallas less than four hours away from her family surrounded by heaven's gate members her body was cremated and it's likely that marshall scattered her ashes now this whole time bonnie hadn't been following one of the important rules of the cult which was to stay isolated and not talk to anybody outside of heaven's gate but every month she had been keeping in touch with her daughter terry sending her letters so when she died and the letters stopped in 1985 terry became very worried eventually two members of heaven's gate contacted terry and they meet up with her in person and inform her of this news and terry is understandably beside herself She's extremely upset because she wasn't there for any of this, she couldn't be at her mom's side when she passed, she didn't get any kind of closure because Bonnie had already been cremated and her ashes were scattered. So this was obviously really hard for Terry, and Terry's family didn't even want to have any kind of memorial for Bonnie. So she really had to deal with her grief alone, which must have been really difficult. When Bonnie died, this also caused a lot of grief and confusion in Heaven's Gate, because it completely went against what they had believed all this time. They thought that Bonnie and Marshall had been reborn and were basically immortal. When Bonnie had died, they didn't understand what this would mean for the group. And since Bonnie had died on Earth, this should also technically mean she wouldn't be able to ascend. So how could this be? Marshall was also very upset because Bonnie had been his life partner for all these years. He thought that their souls were linked and that they were destined to do this mission together, so he didn't see how he could finish it without her. So Marshall becomes very lost and depressed for several years. He even started offering to let the members go home and visit their families. And one day, he offered a $1,000 to anyone who wanted to leave the classroom. Several members did actually go and visit their families, but only one of them chose to stay and not return back to Marshall. So when the other members returned to him, Marshall comes up with this explanation for Bonnie's death. So Marshall claims that Bonnie wasn't actually dead. She was alive and well and already in the next level. It was only her vehicle that had died. He said she had become too evolved for her human body, and her next level consciousness had burned her human vehicle right up. Marshall also attributed her leaving before the mission was complete to a conversation that he had had long ago with Bonnie, During this conversation, Bonnie apparently told Marshall she felt like she was meant to hand the mission down to him at some point. Marshall continued to talk to Bonnie all the time after she died and claimed to receive guidance from her. During Heaven's Gate meetings, he would always keep an empty chair next to him for her. Eventually, Bonnie became seen as God the Father to the members of Heaven's Gate and Marshall became seen as the son Jesus so then Marshall gives each member a hundred dollars to buy something for themselves a wedding band so he holds a group wedding ceremony where the members all married Marshall heaven's gate often compared themselves to nuns and nuns commonly wear wedding bands to symbolize their marriage to jesus so this is kind of a parallel where the members were basically pledging their devotion to jesus and after the weddings some of the heaven's gate members even sent martial commitment letters this becomes a pivotal point in heaven's gate because now the members' loyalty has shifted from the message to the messenger. So in the spring of 1988, Marshall starts to give the group even stricter rules, and he calls these guidelines major offenses and lesser offenses. There were three major offenses, which were deceit of any kind, sensuality in either thought or action, and breaking any instructions or procedures knowingly. There were also 31 lesser offenses. We're not going to get into all of those, obviously, um, but a lot of them were reiterated from the 17 steps. Uh, They also added a lot of rules about exhibiting human characteristics and individuality. You couldn't feel jealous or seek attention, You also couldn't criticize any members of the group, including Marshall. He also started to use scriptures from the Christian Bible to justify a lot of the decisions that he would make for the group. But then he would also say that any form of Christianity was of the devil, which, by the way, he calls the devil Lucy, short for Lucifer, which I found hilarious. He also started to condemn a lot of Eastern religions saying that they were all traps and that the new age movement was from Lucy. The Heaven's Gate members also started to believe that they had all lived in their past life in the next level, all part of the same crew, and that they had all been sent down to earth to carry out this mission together. When their mission was complete, they would leave behind their human vehicles, and their next level consciousness would go back to heaven where they would be given a new level body just like bonnie marshall tells them that the apocalypse is upon them and it's time to teach the world their beliefs and try to save them so marshall in 1988 drafted a public statement called the 88 update and it talked about everything that Heaven's Gate had learned over the past 12 years in the classroom in october of 1988 this update gets mailed out to a lot of religious groups but no one really responded to this so they try a different approach they bought professional recording equipment and they set up a studio and the group starts to record a bunch of lectures called beyond human the last call the material they recorded was over 14 hours and they split it up into 12 episodes and they get aired on satellite tv they talked about their entire history and they gave a declaration of truth and they talked about the upcoming apocalypse the videos were mostly martial preaching and a few members of the group would just occasionally ask him questions but again the episodes didn't seem to have a big impact on their member count so in may of 1993 heavens gate knows they have to keep thinking bigger they put an ad in the usa today and the headline read ufo cult resurfaces with final offer this ad cost heavens gate 30 grand and it took up a third of the page. The group also tried to make some references to Star Trek, (laughs) and they left out the Bible quotes, thinking that it would make them sound more relatable with the general public. And they actually get some responses this time. From July to September of 1993, they keep spreading their message. They spread this message to more than 50 cities, states, and countries through newspaper ads. Then they split up into several groups going on tour. So they traveled all over the U.S. to 22 different states throughout nine months, and they would give out flyers, they would have public meetings, they did interviews, but by now, this is the 90s, and their message isn't getting nearly as much traction. At most, their meetings would have 30 to 40 people in attendance, but usually it was just a handful of people. The people that would attend the meetings were also a lot more skeptical. They weren't really buying into anything Marshall was saying. And so after Heaven's Gate had spent tens of thousands of dollars and months on the road, they finally waved their white flag and they hold their last recruitment meeting on August 19th, 1994. Only about 25 people joined Heaven's Gate throughout this time, and only about half of the people chose to stay after a few months. In 1995, they posted on some public forums on the internet where they would speak about UFOs, Christianity, artificial intelligence, and science fiction. They also built a website, which you can go to, (laughs) heavensgate.com and they uploaded copies of their materials outlining their beliefs. A few comments they received were from trolls and cyberbullies and they really didn't get any other comments. While they were doing these posts on these different forums though they find out about this comet that was scheduled to pass by earth known as hale and hale became a pretty big national story it was going to be such a big and close comet you would be able to see it without a telescope which is interesting because if you think back to bonnie and marshall's big revelation they said they believed they would be able to see god and the cosmos if they had the right telescope so it seemed like there was also some type of object traveling alongside the comet And when Heaven's Gate heard about this, they concluded that the object traveling beside the comet was a spaceship and it was time for them to go home. This part of Heaven's Gate's mission became known as the exit. The group purchased several guns and learned how to use them in case of a government siege. And they started to try and figure out how they would go out. Would it be death by law enforcement? Would they die one by one? They also couldn't ignore that Marshall was in his 60s now, and Marshall thought he was dying, suffering from some form of cancer. So in September of 1994, Marshall approached the group and asked, what if we had to exit our vehicles by our own choice? Do we have a problem with that? The majority of the group members agreed to this plan, with only one member choosing to leave. However, it seems like they put this plan on the back burner for a while, Because in 1995, they bought a bunch of land in New Mexico, they started building another camp, they were recruiting again, and this land they bought in Mexico, or in New Mexico, excuse me, was 40 acres. It was the site of an abandoned summer camp, and they were going to build this monastery that they were going to call the Launch Pad. But eventually, they stopped working on this project because it became too cold and too much to keep up with. So the world continues to talk about the hale Comet. One night, Heaven's Gate is listening to this underground radio show where they often talked about conspiracy theories and government cover-ups. And they start to talk about the hale Comet. Heaven's Gate then also found out that the comet was supposed to pass Earth, on March 22nd, 1996. So the group marks this as their exit date. This was about three months away when they heard this message on the radio. So they decide it's time to live it up and they liquidate all their assets. They take a trip to Vegas and gamble which i feel like is against their rules but whatever <laughs> and then they go to SeaWorld and they ate out at a bunch of restaurants they even went to tijuana and then they decide if they're gonna go out they have to go out in style so they get new uniforms resembling what you would see on star trek so they looked like the star fleet it was intentional heaven's gate were big fans of star trek they watched the show often <laughs> And the uniforms that they bought even had a patch sewn on to each of them. And the patch read, Heaven's Gate Away Team. They also bought matching pairs of Nike sneakers. So in October of 1966, Marshall Applewhite and his followers rented this huge expensive mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, California and they recorded two videos warning their viewers that they had one last chance to evacuate Earth. During this time, they also purchased alien abduction insurance, which I didn't even know was a thing. (laughs) And this insurance would cover up to 50 members and would pay out $1 per person. And the policy covered abduction, impregnation, or death by aliens. Five months later, the group isolated themselves, and they recorded farewell messages explaining their doctrine. Marshall Applewhite records his message first, and one of the things that he emphasized was that he didn't want the public to think of their exits as suicide. He said, Suicide is the separation from the kingdom. When the kingdom has reached out and offered life to you, it is suicide not to leave we are about to regain life. And on the website, heavensgate.com, they have still their declaration about suicide on their page. You can read it. It's very disturbing. So in these recordings, the members all make their exit messages and they assure that what they're doing is at their own free will and they all seem really happy. They're like looking forward to ascending. A lot of the members also talked about how much they loved and appreciated their teachers. Three of the members have, like, a written dialogue uploaded on heavensgate.com, so you can, like, read the transcript. So there was a member who had been in Heaven's Gate for a long time, and he had recently left. The former member's name was Rio. And one day, he gets a package in the mail, and he opens it, And in this package, he finds two VHS tapes and a bunch of floppy disks. And the floppy disks contained backups of all of Heaven's Gate's teaching materials. And the VHS tapes had recordings of each of the members' exit messages. And a handful of other former members also received these packages. So when Rio gets this package, he decides that he has to see this for himself... And he drives to the cabin in Rancho Santa Fe. He arrived at the cabin on March 26th, and he is shocked at what he finds. He called 911 anonymously and reported a mass suicide, giving police the address. So police arrive, and as they go to each room, they eventually identify 39 identical bodies dressed in matching uniforms and sneakers all but two of the bodies were laying on a bed in the same pose with a purple shroud covering their heads and torsos sitting next to each body was a packed bag the group consisted of 21 women and 18 men with ages ranging from 26 to 72 they all had some form of id on them and they all had $5.75 in their pockets. Some believe this had to do with an old Mark Twain story that tells this is the cost of riding a comet to heaven. Other former members said that this was a standard for members leaving the home for jobs, and it was also, quote, a humorous way to tell us they had all left the planet permanently. The $5 bill was supposed to cover the cost of vagrancy laws, and the quarters were for calling home from pay phones. So investigators believe that the members of Heaven's Gate took their exits in three waves, starting on March 22nd. They each followed the same identical procedure. Authorities found copies of the instructions in some of their pockets. They had each consumed a lethal amount of phenobarbital mixed into applesauce. They also drank vodka to accelerate the effects of the drug, and they were also instructed to lay down, relax, and fall asleep. This amount of drugs and alcohol would have induced a fatal coma, but because this was a long-acting barbiturate, the Heaven's Gate away team members took one final step, wrapping their heads in plastic bags, suffocating them. After they died, another member would remove the plastic bag from their head and cover them with a purple shroud. The two bodies that were separated from the others were not covered with shrouds, and it's believed that these were the last people to die. They did have plastic bags over their heads. Some people also wonder if the purple shrouds were meant to symbolize Jesus and Easter time, since Easter was going to be coming up soon or if they were out of respect for Bonnie, since this was Bonnie's favorite color. Marshall Applewhite's body was found alone on a king-sized bed in the master bedroom. His autopsy did not find any cancer, but they did find advanced heart disease. By going out in such a dramatic way, in a sense, Marshall did fulfill his promise that the group would live on. Heaven's Gate has become known as one of the most infamous cults in the world. Decades later, people are still talking about it. This was the largest mass suicide in the country to date. The story reached national news and the president at the time, Bill Clinton, called the event heartbreaking and sickening. Before the members committed suicide, they also made sure to clean the mansion so that it was spotless. They also paid off a $2.50 library fine the day before they started their suicides. Footage from the inside of the mansion was also eventually released to the public, which I hate when they do that, but there, there are pictures online. There was no sign of a struggle, violence, or any blood at the scene, and authorities agreed that this seemed to be a very voluntary scenario. But many argue that the members were manipulated and slowly groomed by Marshall Applewhite over the years, leading to him ultimately hypnotizing them and murdering all of them, because they only had an illusioned choice in the end. The two choices were both suicide, either leave the group and spend their life on Earth, damning themselves to the hell that was this planet, or abandon their vehicles in a physical suicide and ascend to heaven with the rest of their classmates, which were the only family they had known for the last 20 years. After these 39 members of Heaven's Gate committed suicide, at least three more former members that we know of also committed suicide. One of them even wore an away team patch. Two former members, Mark and Sarah King of Phoenix, Arizona, operating as the TELAH Foundation, T-E-L-A-H, are believed to still maintain the group's website as of 2017 there has been no evident growth for heaven's gate so it seems like the group has come to an end three quarters of the members who committed suicide had followed heaven's gate for more than 20 years life inside of heaven's gate was a constant daily struggle they had to have constant awareness and struggled every second of the day to make sure they were living up to the expectations of Marshall Applewhite. They had to completely denounce who they were as people. They had to leave behind everything they had ever known. Their exit was seen as them finally being able to claim their award. They were finally worthy. They were finally seen as individuals. Perhaps this is an insight into how important it is For us to have our own sense of self, camaraderie, and self-worth. And just how far humanity is willing to go to obtain it. And that is the absolutely insane story of Heaven's Gate. Oh man, you guys. (laughs) That was a long one. If you know me, I can't leave out any details. But such a tragic and crazy story and 39 suicides. It's just, it's so crazy. What a story. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did share the link with some of your friends, share it with family. Please be sure to leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. If you haven't already, follow the podcast. So, you know, when new episodes have been released and if you have any requests for future episodes or you just want to share a crazy story with me that you want me to read on the podcast, you can email me at perplexitymysterypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram for the latest perplexity updates at perplexitymysterypodcast. And if you've made it this far, thank you guys so much for listening. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.